Hi and welcome to the Habits Habit Podcast. My name is Brian Conroy. I am your host. Um, I suspect a lot of people are joining us today because my guest is Georgie Crawford. Uh, and uh, I'd say that there are some fans of Georgie's or some people who are interested in what Georgie has to say about habits that have joined me for the first time. So, uh, hello. <laughs> welcome. Um this is a podcast about habits. Um, if you are listening for the first time, uh, maybe have a listen to episode number two with one of the leading experts on habits in the world, Professor Wendy Wood. Um, and you might find out some really surprising stuff about habits and how they work. Um, and if you find this podcast interesting, please do consider uh, subscribing and look at why not push out the boat uh, and leave a review and a comment because it helps the algorithm think this is worth listening to and pushes it out to other people. So that's my bit. Um, let's get into it, shall we? This is Georgie Crawford from The Good Glow uh, talking about, well, all sorts of things. Let's get to it. For background, myself and Georgie have known each other in one way, shape or form for a long time in the sense that we must have met. Is it like 15 years ago, maybe? Like, I guess. I, I think I started in Spain when I was 20, 21. So I'm 35 now. So yeah, we go back years. And I loved working on your show. I loved you on the radio. I literally could have listened to you for hours on end. So we were really sad when you left. Oh, thank you very much. That's very sweet. It's also fair to say that we worked together but we never really interacted outside of work. So we were more colleagues than good mates, really. Yeah. And I think we were in Spain, we were like family. We used to kill each other in there. We'd have big arguments about the content. I don't know if you remember the wall, which was this kind of healthy habit that our boss, Jamie, tried to introduce at the time is where we'd all sit down after the breakfast show and talk about what content we were bringing to the table that day. And those are really good times and days and and I think by the end of the week we were all sick of each other and dying to get home to our other lives <laughs> yeah that's a, a fairly neat summary of of how life was in spin but it's it's interesting and I'll come back to it in a minute in terms of uh, the habits of being a radio presenter because there's I was thinking about this earlier and it's interesting but f for anyone one of the things that I think we're all guilty of, particularly in media, so I, you may or may not agree, but once you've seen something on Twitter or when you're in that industry, you assume the rest of the world has seen it or know about it. And you, we have this mentality where if you're not first, you're last, and that's already on another website, so we're ignoring it. And so I suspect, I just assume everyone knows who Georgie Crawford is and everyone knows the good glow and everyone knows your story. But of course, that's silly. Everyone doesn't. For anyone who doesn't, can you give me the Cliff Notes version of you and why I'm probably talking to you today? Yeah, so I guess I went to college, I studied journalism. I went into spin as a spinny, as many of us started there, getting to know our audience face to face, which was really beneficial then when I went into the newsroom and I was the breakfast news anchor and I was the entertainment editor. And I just bopped around in there for many years. And then when I was 
31, I got pregnant uh, with my first child, Pia. I had her in February 2017, reluctantly went off maternity leave. Like my whole life revolved around my job. As I said, we were like family in there. I didn't know how I'd live with without everyone for so long, but we were in the middle of buying our first house at the foot of the Dublin mountains. Then my husband, Jamie, left his career in media after 12 years. So there was a lot going on in my maternity leave. And I was getting ready to go back into the workplace. Pia was seven months old and I found a lump in my breast one night. And I was so shocked, floored, devastated. I just really felt like it was bad news. I hadn't been feeling well over the couple of weeks beforehand. And five days later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And still to this day, I, I can't believe it some days. I still can't get my head around it. My two surgeries, IVF, five months of chemo, four weeks of radiotherapy. And please God, now I'm coming up to my three-year scans and hopefully they will be clear. Just even hearing about it is, you've obviously told this story many times and many people have heard it. It's mind-blowing. And I think one of the things that's scary for all of us is you you want, like, God forgive me, when it's someone you don't know, when it's removed, uh, it's easier. When it's someone and they're in a similar situation to you, you can't escape the fact that this could happen to you, to anyone, to all of us. And it it's hard to deal with. Did people, did you find that like people who were close to you didn't really know how to cope with it? So I was diagnosed in October, very early stages of October. And obviously I just told my family and my really close friends. And I was really aware that people in work might start to find out like it's Dublin is small. And I knew that this is news that people maybe wouldn't be able to keep to themselves. And by... I, I really wanted to find out that my cancer hadn't spread before I really discussed it with people outside of my immediate circle, just because Jamie was saying, let's just see where we're at, see what we're up against. And so I had my first surgery and they took out some lymph nodes and those lymph nodes were tested. And my surgeon came back and said, like, your cancer has 100% not spread, we're sure of it. So that's when I felt like I had some energy to maybe talk to people about it. But I suppose when you're diagnosed with cancer, and it took me so long to say, there's a lot of shame and embarrassment because when you look online or you read the Daily Mail, you see these things like, an unhealthy diet gives you cancer or something that kept popping up for me was negative thoughts give you cancer. And I was like, oh my God, are people going to think that I'm this unhealthy person with horrible thoughts in my head? And because I was on maternity leave, I thought that maybe I could hide it from everyone in work and just pretend I was taking a year off to be with my baby because I was quite private. And when I found out my cancer hadn't spread and I knew that people had started to find out and I thought about people who are walking around with the signs of breast cancer and had no idea that they might have the early stages of cancer. I thought there's no way I can keep this under my hat. I can't hide. I need to face it. My brother really helped me, Mick, in coming to terms with that and to hold my head up high, which is what I decided to do. And then, yeah, like you said, people don't know what to say to you but 
I have to say everyone in Communicore just wrapped their arms around me and it was so comforting. Yeah. I want to just then, I suppose the, my whole interest is uh, in habits, okay? And I'm conscious that I could probably have a three or four, as everyone could, have a three or four hour chat with you about everything. But I want to try and focus on the habits aspect of this because I want to explore a couple of things, if that's okay. When you were diagnosed, if there was daily habits that help you get through it, looking at your habits beforehand and now, and maybe to try and tease out some things that worked for you that maybe anyone who's going through something the same or similar might be able to say, that's actually something that I could do every day or I could think every day or whatever that might help me. So I suppose to start with then, you mentioned it yourself, that the, the, the theory that's out there or the maybe conspiracy theories are better of what bad habits lead to cancer. What, what, I mean, smoking is the first one that comes to my mind. You said bad thoughts. What other ones are there? Or like when you started looking at this, what habits do people think give you cancer? And, and what, is there any truth to them? Not, I know you're not a doctor now, I should say you're a specialist, but in your opinion, what's the most toxic that you felt? I think as I reflect on it and as I get further and further away from my old life and I have stepped into a new life and my life has like completely transformed to what it used to be, I realized that I was chronically stressed and I was chronically dehydrated. And I say this in my corporate talks that for 10 years, I gave every part of myself to everyone else. I had nothing left in the tank for me at the end of a busy day. I ate breakfast at my desk. I ate lunch at my desk. Um, And when I'd get home, I had no energy to invest in myself. So I could never find anything. I was always late. And Brian, that when I was the entertainment editor, I would sit under a TV that had the analytics of how many people were on the website all day, every day. And if I went to the shop, that number would drop. It was literally like a ticking clock over my head. And every single person in that building that walked past, it was like they could see how much of a good job I was doing that day. And maybe, of course, people didn't actually think that. But that's how I felt. And that was the pressure I put on myself. I had to be the best at everything. And what I was actually doing was I was making myself sick. And I it never even dawned on me that I should be taking better care of myself. I just thought if the more busier I am, I might get that promotion into 98FM, into the newsroom. And people will see that I'm doing a great job. And what I was doing is I was making myself chronically ill. Do you think, is there an element of, I would, I think a lot of people will be able to relate with that, particularly in their 20s, where I think you're invincible and that you'll catch up on sleep. You'll, you're, you, you, the healthy habits that we'll come to, you keep putting them off. Would you say, is that what you were doing? You were saying, I'll start eating more healthy once I get this next promotion or once I get to this point or once I get to this point. And of course, you never get there because you're always striving for the next thing. A hundred percent. And my husband, Jamie, was diagnosed with MS shortly after we started dating. So our whole 
entire relationship revolved around his health and not because he made it that way but just because I always looked at myself as the well person in the relationship everything went to him so at the weekends I would encourage him to go and play hockey or go to the gym and I'd stay at home with the ironing or clean the apartment and I'd say oh I'm fine I'll survive he's the one that needs to exercise and I was just had completely abandoned myself and there's this like mums talk about it all the time that if they have a tray of potatoes and there's one burnt potato who's going to eat the burnt potato the mum is and because we just get so used to putting everyone else ahead of ourselves and I think I even put everyone else's happiness ahead of myself so I'd tell myself I'd always just tell myself I'll be fine I'll get through it I was always working towards the next holiday that's when I can relax that's when I can chill and I really liked spending time indoors, which now I'm such an outdoor person. I don't know how I survived. I was always just hiding under scarves, comfy blankets. I just wrapped myself in in cotton wool because I was trying to recover from whatever I was putting myself through that day. And when I look back on it now, it's it's quite hard to see that person. But through counselling, I've learned to have compassion for that person because that version of myself was just trying to do her best. Yeah. Can I give you, like, from the outside looking in, what I thought that person was then? And I I hope this won't be (laughs) offensive or upsetting or send you back to counselling. But I thought you were extremely hardworking and all of the things that you were but also that it was I won't say looking for validation that's not quite it but that you were very concerned what other people thought of you maybe that's the best way of describing it yeah and and I'm still to this day I get really anxious about things because I've put myself out there now Jamie's like tries to encourage me like not to care so much about what other people think and I think back then like I was in my 30s I was talking about One Direction every day and who Taylor Swift was dating and yeah maybe there was a part of me that was a little bit worried that god are people gonna think I'm a loser you know that this is all I care about I cared about a lot more but yeah like I I had a pride I tried to hold my head up high and own it but I was seeing all these people that were coming in under me like Riyadh, Barry like all of these amazing young people with so much ambition and I was like god is this as far as I'm getting I always wanted to do more but I my path wasn't clear I was so wrapped up in the day-to-day stress that I just and maybe I just didn't want to look at myself I didn't want to really stop and ask myself the tough questions like I do think about what do people in spin think of me around that time when I got sick were they like of course she was going to get sick living her life the way she did but I suppose it's just all part of growing up and evolving as a person yeah but we were all living that life if we look at maybe if you look at some of the good habits that we'll talk about hopefully in a little more detail in a second but like eating properly getting enough sleep staying hydrated uh meditation gratitude um all of these kind of things regular exercise taking time out for yourself self-care 
if I could be as, as frank as this, we were too busy for it. Like there was too much going on. Yeah. And I think as well, like I went into the workplace when I was trying to make a name for myself in there and get on in the middle of a recession. So all of a sudden we went from having four people on the news team to two and we had to find a way to make it work and technology was evolving and social media was evolving and we had to make that work too and what are we doing down in the shop sitting outside the shop when there's a million things to be done and you haven't made your video for the day and you have to go into the bathroom and pile on the makeup for 20 minutes and then put yourself out there and it was just non stop and the, the, the fact is that we loved it like we really believed in spin and I think that's what made spin so special is that we fully believed in what we were doing every day we were all on the same page trying to get to number one trying to beat FM 104 we were passionate about it and you're right just too busy to think about anything else okay so when you look at it now with the benefit of hindsight and everything you've been through, like I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to say, would you change anything, but could you have done the job you did, but with the healthy habits you now have, or are they just so incongruous that you just couldn't imagine that life with these habits? It's funny because the week before I was going back to my job as the entertainment editor of Spin, having had a baby and having been diagnosed with cancer and had a year of treatment, my bosses rang me and they said, look, there's a job going as the breakfast news anchor of 98FM. We would love you to go for it. We think you should. And this is the job that I wanted for 10 years. And here I was standing right in front of it and I thought, but I've been gone for a year and a half. How on earth could they be considering me for this? Or do they feel sorry for me because of everything I've been through? And I realized that actually what I what had happened was I went away for a year and I invested in myself for the first time in my life. And I was putting out a different energy into the world. So having for 10 years put all my energy outwards, I had to put my energy inwards for a year. And that I changed and everyone in work came on the journey with me. So it's not like I was a stranger going back. They were all following, you know, what I was doing on social media. I was wiser, less stressed, calmer. And that was the reason why they wanted me to do the job that actually I tried so hard for 10 years. I interviewed for it many times, never got it. Um, hung around the 98FM newsroom waiting for the shift, never got it. And yeah, I really believe that investing in yourself instead of putting everything outwards would really pay off. So in hindsight, if I had done that back in those 10 years that I was sitting in the newsroom in spin, if I had have um, gone for a run or taken up a, a little healthy habit that made me a happier person, that maybe I would have gotten on easier in life. That's yeah, it's an interesting retrospective. But one of the things that concerns me uh, most about what I'm learning about habits and the science of them and, and change and everything that goes with it is, is it unfair of me? Maybe it is. Please tell me if it is to say that it was getting cancer, like something as massive of that stop that led to this. Do you 
think would you have ever gotten to this point in terms of loving the outdoors, being healthy, the person you are today, would that have happened without the diagnosis? I think for me personally, no. I feel like I needed this earthquake in my life. And I think that's how I have learned to be very accepting of what happened to me because it's changed me for the better. And I have this amazing life now full of healthy habits. But when I go into to businesses and I do my corporate talk, say, for example, I went into a big law firm where there's lots of young people in their 20s and I tell my story and there is young girls crying because when I describe my life before cancer, they come up to me at the end and they're like, that's me. That's what I do every day. I'm too tired. I'm too tired at the end of it every day to do anything for myself. I wish my week's away. I wish it was Friday. And my aim is to try to get through to people before it's too late. I feel like I it was lucky. I wasn't too late for me. I caught my cancer early, but you don't have to get the cancer diagnosis to change. And yeah, it is, it is harder to change without an earthquake in your life. But I always say to people to start with healthy habits. And that's what my whole life is built around now. Didn't go on any fancy diets. I didn't become a vegan or a vegetarian or start these crazy things. I literally just started to adapt healthy habits and it has completely transform my life so I say to people start small and then those little tiny habits will just become lifestyle choices that you make without thinking and then all of the time you can just pick up new healthy habits along the way and all of a sudden your life is different yeah that is just the perfect advice that's really what I'm trying to do and I have to say part of this journey is it's a personal thing for me like I'm trying to get better I'm trying to adopt more healthy habits and I'm trying to talk to people like yourself and other people to find out how the hell to do it because in a weird way and touch wood and thank god and all of that good stuff I haven't had the earthquake so I am struggling with these (laughs) habits and how to incorporate them let's just pick one so for example I think you would have openly said you weren't a fit person before your diagnosis is that like in terms of exercise I I vaguely recall you describing a hot yoga session to me before but my impression was always that was less to do with health and more to do with if I could be either being skinny or being trendy or being fashionable I don't think it was a a, like a particularly uh, ambitious health plan is that fair to say you didn't like it either by the way (laughs) bang on that was it yeah what will I do with Claire it was actually with Claire Solon was on this yoga buzz and I tried to jump on that bandwagon but yeah only lasted three classes (laughs) so the first kind of awareness I had that you were doing something healthy was when I saw you doing your 100 squats challenge was that the the first healthy habit would you say after your diagnosis a hundred percent yeah so a week before that, I started this 100 squats for 30 days. I, I started it on Instagram to try get people to I would be accountable for it and make sure I did it every day. My oncologist sat me down. I'll never forget it. It was in the oncology day ward in the Beacon. I had finished my chemotherapy and she sat me down and she said, you have to exercise. And when I heard that, I had put myself in this category all my life of the non-exerciser. I was always quite slim. As I said, Jamie was the sick one. I was 
the survivor. And when she said that, all I could think about was my little baby who was at home. And she said, people who exercise do better in their recovery and you have a less likely chance of having a cancer recurrence. So when she said that, I thought I owe it to myself, my family for everything I've been through to give this a go. And I went home and it was hard for me to go to the gym or things like that around then because my immune system was very low from the chemo. I was really conscious about my hair. And also, this is something I've never said before. My toenails were falling off or not like falling off. They were very loose at, to a point where um, putting on a pair of runners would hurt me. And I was worried about losing some nails. And I thought, what could I do that's easy on me, but a challenge. So I started the 100 squat challenge. And actually on the last day, it was the day before I was due to start radiotherapy. And we did the squat challenge in my back garden with my friends. One of my friends stood on my toe. (laughs) I never to this day told that person that I cried for three days afterwards in pain but um yeah it was it's little things like that you would never even think about someone who's been through chemo that maybe that's the reason why they're not getting up every day and going for a walk and it's hard to admit to people oh like my nails are falling off or I'm so chronically embarrassed by not having any hair to go to the gym and so I built myself up that way and then I did join a little gym about six weeks later two months later and I tried every class and I tried every machine and then I just hopped up on a treadmill one day to see if I could run one kilometer and I could and then I built myself up to four over a period of two or three weeks and then I bought a treadmill and I've literally never looked back okay so I mean like that's uh that's really I think important because it is how this works it's how habits work they're foundational they're something you can build upon one can lead to another can lead to another and it's just about almost getting started so how how did you get started because you you mentioned a word that has come up again and again in interviews I've done for this podcast and in pretty much every book or or blog post or science bit you read and that's accountability mm-hmm. how important is that to keep you moving towards your goals and keeping those habits going? What made you, did you ever miss a day of the 100 day squat challenge? No. And why not? Because I had put myself out there and I said I was going to do it. And I, I said to Jamie very early on, I need you to keep on top of me, but don't hammer me on this. If I do, if we go out for a run and I don't want to run, I want to just walk don't you need to just support me in this journey and like almost wrap your arms around me because I really felt like I was putting myself out there and I think as I say a non-exerciser sometimes you're afraid to start because you're afraid that you won't keep it up and then that's embarrassing and I used to be embarrassed to run down the road in case people saw me and that's exactly what you were saying about me before cancer is like really afraid of what people would would think of me I was afraid people would laugh at me if I took up running all of a sudden but actually nobody cares and 
people have more respect for you if you're loving yourself and looking after yourself in a proper way. So yeah, definitely to start, I needed the accountability of putting my putting it out on Instagram. And even if you've got three people watching your Instagram stories, that's still three people who will check in every day to see if you're doing something. But yeah, accountability is huge. It, it, interesting uh, the angle with Jamie, your husband, being keeping you to task. Uh, do, I, I ask because uh, this came up in, in another conversation yesterday, and also because I've had this conversation with my wife Orla, and she, and it, in for good reasons, she doesn't want to be my accountability partner for my habits because my habits are about like healthy eating and exercise, and she thinks that her being the accountability partner makes her the fun police, and that mm-hmm. it will end up in conflict or killings between us. Uh, thoughts? <laughs> yeah, like I, I came home from the gym one day. And I had some savings and I said to Jamie, I'm going to buy a treadmill. And he started laughing. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, that treadmill is going to be in the shed in two months. And I was really annoyed at him. I was like, no, I'm not going to give up. This is, I've changed. I'm going to be a runner. I'm going to, this is going to be part of my life. And he was like, okay, you like do whatever you want. If you want to buy it a hundred percent, I'll go, I'll pick it up. I'll set it up for you. And I, I put my treadmill into uh, our playroom. And when Pia would go for her naps, I'd get on it and I do, and I do it. And then I the, guess where the treadmill is. It's in our shed and it was in our shed three months later. But because in the meantime, I had this amazing connection with nature and I'd sit out in my back garden for like a few minutes every day when Pia was asleep and I'd come in and I couldn't help but feel happier or calmer. Obviously, I was still so desperately sad about what had happened to me around that time. And there was no denying this little lift that it gave me. And I suppose when you're on sick leave, you have all of this time all of a sudden. So before, when you may not have noticed that something made you feel better because you're just on to the next thing all the time, I had lots of time to reflect. So as Jamie says, I swapped the treadmill for the pavement and out I went with myself and decided that one of my other healthy habits was sitting in nature. How could I combine these two things and get the benefits of nature and get my exercise in at the same time? So I started to do that. And then the park run just became one of our healthy habits as a family. And we do that every Saturday. And it brought pure joy to our lives to get out the human connection, community spirit, no phones, no TVs, and just spending that quality time as a family was amazing for us. There's a couple of things I want to ask about that. First of all, how much are you looking for the treadmill? And we might be able to work something out. Um, but no, but what's interesting about, I, I wonder, would you have, I think the treadmill was probably an important part of the journey because one of the things that they say, uh, and I'd be interested in your thoughts about this, about starting a habit is that you have to make it as easy as possible. So the treadmill being in your playroom, easily accessible when Pia was asleep, made it easy to start this habit that, that you then took outdoors. Whereas if you had have started with outdoors and had to be trying to fit your run in, obviously you couldn't go outdoors and run while Pia was asleep. 
maybe the habit wouldn't have taken hold in the same way. That you're so right. The treadmill was such a huge part of it. Number one, because I was too embarrassed to run down the road, like I said. Running in a wig, not great. Running without my wig, I'm embarrassed. I could hide in my playroom and do it. Also, I could stop after two and a half kilometers if I wanted to. I was... And not be two and a half kilometers from your house. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And also, I used to find exercise so incredibly boring. So I would put on a TV show on my phone and just try to completely ignore what I was doing and just watch something to try and zone out. But now I suppose as it became more of a habit and I started to go outside and enjoy it more, I don't need the TV. I don't need something to distract me. I actually quite enjoy it. Now, I'm not putting on my runners and big smile on my face and waving off to my family as I go and run 10K. Like I'm moaning the whole way out the door still. Like I hate it. But the feeling at the end gets me out the door. The feeling that I know I'm going to have at the end makes me do it. Yeah. And from my point of view, it's I'm really focused on how you start a habit, how you start that process so that it builds to the point where you get out. So there's really interesting studies in terms of people who go to gyms. And so the distance you are from your gym has a huge impact on how frequently you go. And for every kilometer further away, the amount of time people go drops through the floor. So it's amazing how a small barrier to your habit can make or break it. And we saw that with the treadmill with you, you know, that without it, you may not have gotten further. One of the other habits you mentioned way back at the start of this chat is another one that's come up all the time. And it's something that I find fascinating that I uh, neglected for, you know, 30 years or ever since I was old enough to drink. And that's staying hydrated, which the science is like undisputable. Being dehydrated is bad for you. Full stop, capital letter. There's nothing else to it. And yet almost all of us don't drink enough water. It's crazy. So when I had Pia, I'd have three coffees a day. And I remember really clearly around that time saying, what are you doing to yourself? Uh, You haven't drank any water today. And when I had that thought, I still wouldn't go to the sink and get a glass of water. It was like this form of self-harm. I don't know what I was doing. My every part of me was screaming to drink more water but I just didn't. And now in chemo, drinking two liters of water became one of my healthy habits. And now I can tell when I'm dehydrated. I think I was for 30 years, I was dehydrated and I just didn't care enough. But now it's funny when you listen to your gut and you get to know your body and you take time to listen, what you notice. So now, yeah, water has become a huge part of my life. Actually, drinking water makes me a happier person. It sounds mad, but when I'm hydrated, I feel so much different. And I heard this Paul O'Connell, the rugby player. Yep. 
apparently in his corporate talks or when he goes out to do talks, he speaks about the fact that he sleeps beside a pint of water instead of his phone. And when he wakes up in the morning, the first thing he does is he drinks that pint of water. And he says, while everybody else is reaching for their phone and scrolling, I already have a pint of water down. And that's the way he starts his day. And what an amazing healthy habit that is. So when I went back into work, then I made it my business to drink a pint of water before my coffee, just to, that was a healthy habit for me too. Yeah, I, I actually do the same as Paul O'Connell, who knew I, myself and Paul Ooh. had so much in common. Yeah, no, I, I, the first thing I do every single morning is I drink, it's actually, it's a, a bottle of water. It's about 750 mils and I just down it with some vitamins and stuff. And I suppose I, people are going to think I'm obsessed with water, but I'll tell you why I'm so focused on water. I came up with, uh, as part of this project and part of this journey, I came up with a list of habits that I wanted. And some of them are, if you go into Google and say habits of healthy people, successful people, whatever, uh, getting more sleep, meditating, journaling, a gratitude practice, uh, exercise, a morning routine, uh, reading more, all of these kind of habits. And I, I wrote them all down and I, I it's typical of the way I do things. I did uh, spreadsheets and I did graphs and I did all this kind of stuff to figure out what I was going to do. And what I wanted to try and find was one habit that I could start that I was 100% certain that I could do so that I could start to feel more confident in myself that I could build good habits and that I could go on. And the first one that I picked was water wow. and hydration. And so what I did was, uh, and again, I'd be interested to hear if you had to go to these extremes, because I, I genuinely had to do, to drink more water, I had to do a couple of things. I had to set a, a countdown timer that went off every hour to remind me to drink water. Uh, I bought new water bottles that were colorful and attractive and caught my eye and I put them right in front of me so I couldn't miss it. Uh, and then what I would do was the alarm would go off. I would finish what whatever, whatever was in the bottle, go straight to the um, sink and fill it back up so that the water bottle was uh, full in front of me again, start the timer again and repeat. And I had to do that, I think, for maybe four or five, six weeks before. And this is something that you said it was only after about six weeks of doing that I could then tell oh I'm dehydrated or I need to drink I had I didn't have to rely on the clock anymore my body me again bizarrely for the first time in my life knew I need to drink water now I'm properly about to be dehydrated because they do say if, if you can feel it you're probably already dehydrated but at least then you're doing something about it was it that difficult for you or is am I just being a thick in terms of it's really uh, difficult for me to do things no a hundred percent and still to this day like it might be three o'clock and I'm like oh god I haven't drank any water today but I'll make sure that I get my liter and a half to two liters in every single day but yeah I 100 percent have have to have water trackers I have to set myself goals it's I'm exactly the same and as well with my five to seven portions of fruit and veg a day if it's three o'clock and I've only had two portions of fruit and veg and I feel like eating a biscuit I'll eat a piece of fruit instead and that's a little way for me to be accountable to myself is just to give myself that five to seven target a day and some days on my on a Saturday I might only get four in but then maybe on a Monday I'll get nine it's really it's about balance it's about giving yourself achieve, achievable goals like you said you read out that big list that you made 
And instead of trying to take on everything, you did the best thing, which was to start with the water, get the water under your belt. Okay, now what else can I do? What else can I introduce? And that's the way it works for me. Did you did you look in? So it sounds like you have an awful lot of of good habits and healthy habits like (laughs) such a nerd. I'm such a habit now, like I've read loads of books about habits and how to form them and the science behind them and what happens in terms of cue and response and all this kind of stuff. Did you do any of that or did you just figure it out? yourself I definitely just figured it out and just because I knew that I needed to change desperately and chemo was a great way for me to make those little changes that just continued on I was really healthy during chemo to try to keep my blood swell every week and try not to get sick and then I just continued on because chemo went on for 23 weeks so the habits were formed and I've never really lost them since then so that's been really important for me another I was listening. There's this great podcast, Tom Brady on Armchair Expert with Zach Shepard. And he spoke about what you're putting your energy into. And so I was putting, I've noticed over the last kind of six weeks that I haven't felt as happy as I have previously. And obviously COVID has had a huge impact on all of our happiness. But I was getting into bed every night and I was scrolling on my phone for an hour, looking at other people's lives, comparing myself and wondering if I could do a better job. Why aren't I as successful as that person? It's because you're lazy, Georgie. Yeah. (laughs) So Tom Brady was saying, like, if you're putting all your energy into one specific thing, you're not learning anything else. And I thought, when did I stop reading in bed and discovering things about the world we live in? So I've got rid of my phone at night and now I have a book that I'm loving and, and, and learning so much. And it's, that was just a bad habit creeping in. And I think just to acknowledge it, not give yourself a hard time about it, but just going, how can I change this? How can I, am I evolving as a person? Am I learning something new every day? Because that's what happened to me in spin for those 10 years. I wasn't evolving. I wasn't doing new things. I wasn't adapting healthy habits. And I just got into this terrible rush. So I think it's just becoming aware of things and how you're living your life and little things you can do to improve on your happiness yeah well it's really interesting one of the reasons I asked the question about whether you'd read any of this stuff is you're pretty accurately describing um exactly how habits work like the the tons and tons of scientific research about how it works and about gradual improvements and about starting small and attainable goals and building on them and accountability and habit tracking and and everything like you could almost write the book and perhaps you should but what I think is really interesting is you know that it works that you're an example of without knowing the science you just did it you found a way that works for you but as it happens is pretty much the way it works for everyone and it has been completely transformative yeah and I read Oprah's book what I know for sure in chemo and there are so many things that she said in that that I was like oh she speaks about aha moments which is the moment like the penny drops and I think in that book she almost gave me permission to take better care of myself it was like I needed someone to tell me it's okay to miss bath time with your kids and go for a run 
you're not a selfish asshole if you do that. And yeah, like that book just transformed my relationship with myself, my relationship with cancer. And in it, she says, taking care of your body, no matter what your age is an investment. And when she said that, I thought, jeepers, was I waiting my whole life to get sick to change? Yes, I was. He says, if we don't make time for our health, someday we will be forced to make time for our illness. And I think for anyone listening who hasn't had the earthquake, just start. Don't wait around. Don't wait around waiting to get sick. That giving up um, cigarettes ad when they're like, what are you waiting for? Waiting for lung cancer? Or what is it exactly you're waiting for? And I think I spent the first half of my life waiting around and I'm so happy and it's been so hard and I've had to dig deep so many times to get my head around the fact that I was 32 and I got cancer, but it's allowed me to start living this amazing life I was given that was at my fingertips for so many years and that I never really put my energy into discovering the world or discovering what I was capable of. Yeah. And like one of the things I suppose that's counterintuitive about us, about people, is that we don't always and quite frequently, we don't do the things that are good for us. It's a, it's a bit of a, if you'll excuse my French, it's a bit of a mind fuck that like, I find it mad, for example, that you, smoking is, it's mo, one of the places smoking is most prevalent is among doctors and health workers. And you're kind of like, that can't be right. If anybody knows that you shouldn't smoke, it's those people. So it, it, it is very difficult. That's the kind of what you're up against. You're up against human nature to take the path of least resistance or to do the easy thing the whole time. And one of the things about habits and why it's important to start small is because building good habits, let's not kid ourselves or unless you tell me I'm wrong, it's hard. Yeah, it, it is. And it's, it's you've to you have to change how you think about everything. Like I got a text from my friend the other day when Michal Martin was talking about lockdown going, I just don't think we should let this affect our lives. Now, not in our behavior in terms of where I'm not going to be seeing my friends, seeing my family, but how much am I going to let this impact my little bubble and my happiness within my family? So we decided to make a happy list and write down all the things that make us happy and focus on that instead of being like, oh, lockdown, we're cooped up for six weeks, we can't see anyone. Where can we put our energy into? Are we going to sit around moping for six weeks or are we going to do things that we love to do as a family or maybe take up a new healthy habit, a yoga class that we can do together, something like that. But yeah, it's hard. None of us are perfect. And we're all trying to juggle things. It's even harder now than it ever was before to look after yourself and make time for yourself. But I think it's to know that you deserve it and you can't reach your full potential if you're giving everything to everyone else all the time. Mm-hmm. Very, You're very wise, Georgie. Do you know that? <laughs> I always said that about you. <laughs> Um, sorry, I just actually caught myself there where I said building new habits is hard. It's not always. For example, again, thinking things in small, like reading in bed at night instead of scrolling on your phone. 
is is not hard in the sense that there's no like physical effort it's just it's a change it's and you might have to do things like leaving your phone downstairs or whatever i've gone a li- little extreme on that i've actually gotten rid of my smartphone i've bought a dumb phone oh um yeah I just, I, I couldn't, I tried everything. I tried like installing apps that would limit the amount of time I could spend on certain things and doing all that. And then I just thought, do you know what? I'm just going to get rid of it. And I, I found a, a kind of dumb-ish phone. It's a Nokia phone, old school, but it has WhatsApp on it. So I can make calls, I can send texts and I can WhatsApp from that phone and that's it. And then I'm trying to limit any of the other online stuff to when I'm at my computer. So I'm purposeful about it trying it <laughs> not perfect but trying um, um i'm just like i'm curious about what you would say is the best habit you've picked up or where people are going to be looking at if i'm going to follow this advice of georgie or brian or whoever and i'm going to start small i'm going to pick one habit to start on what would you start with or what was easiest for you and then following on from that what's been the hardest good habit to pick up or bad habit to drop yeah i think my favorite best habit that I have is going outside. I did this podcast about nature and the benefits it has on your well-being and your happiness. And I think the biggest gift I've given to myself over the last few years is to enjoy time outside. So now we're all working from home. It's pretty tough going sit on your front step or go out your back garden wrap up really warm don't bring your phone and just go outside for a few minutes and just listen and that has been so transformative for me like when I went back to work after I got better I made sure I went outside every single day for 25 minutes for a walk around town just because going outside can completely transform your mood, it lowers your stress levels, it makes you happier. So that's definitely been my favorite one. The hardest one to keep up is, God, that's a tough one. It's probably, I suppose, just taking it, being easier on myself. Like I'm very hard on myself. And through counseling, I've had to learn how to have compassion for myself and not beat myself up if I eat a biscuit. And I'm getting much better at that. Before, I wouldn't be able to eat a biscuit in public because I was so afraid that people were judging me. So I, I suppose that's been the hardest one, just to be kinder to myself and not to judge myself for doing things that I would see as bad like eating something bad so just to have more compassion I think yeah I think that uh the the first of all the the getting outside thing is one of the other interesting things I've discovered personally is how effective some of the really small things are so we talked earlier about hydration that going outside thing as well there's as i'm sure because you sound a lot more about it than i do there's scientific studies as well lots of them that show just five minutes like five minutes outside can have such huge positive benefits and it's not necessarily like up the dublin mountains or whatever it's just outside anywhere in your back garden or anywhere which has been really interesting. And also for me, what I discovered was if you go outside pretty much anywhere, even in the city or anywhere and uh, close your eyes 
you can hear the birds singing. And so that's what I do when I go outside. I, I try and hear the birds um, and it just brings me a bit closer to nature and, and that element of things. Oh, it's amazing. And I go forest bathing now, which is a really new concept and it's creeping in in, in Ireland and the benefits, obviously, we're all talking about nature at the moment. So go forest bathing and it's actually prescribed in Korea and Japan because it's proven to make you feel better and just spend time outside. And now if I have a corporate talk, instead of looking over my notes before I go in and cramming and wondering, you know, what they're going to say and will I come across well, will people like me? I go outside for five minutes and I always do a better corporate talk when I have a few minutes in nature beforehand because I'm more connected with myself and you know who I am and what actually is important here so yeah nature has been just an incredible healer for me and then it was so funny because before I got sick I hated going outside I hated being cold my abiding memory of you in work is constantly cold and wrapped up and looking for hot water bottles and things to put on you to keep you more warm I know oh my god it's so embarrassing when I look back on that but yeah I ran uh, 12 kilometers in the Swiss Alps in January combining two of the things in my life I always thought I hated which was being outside cold and running and it was the greatest thing I have ever done and another quote that gets me through the tough days is you have a right to change your mind give yourself permission to change and changing for me and thinking differently about things has been the greatest gift that I gave to myself and that concept of not being too hard on yourself I think is really important when you're building habits as well because you talked about habit trackers and people talk about habit streaks and your 30-day challenges and, and all these kinds of things um you're going to miss a day. And and I read something recently where someone said that the, the real test of your habits isn't in the streak. It's when you break the streak, what happens next? Do you get back on the horse or so I was terrible for, and I still am like, I hasten to add, I'm, I find, I think I'm at the very early stages of this journey of hopeful transformation, but I was a devil for, let's say I started a diet or a new plan or whatever the hell it was on a Monday. If kind of I fell off the wagon on Wednesday or Thursday, I would say I'll start again next Monday. And really, it's you are going to break the streak. You are going to have bad days or your diet's going to go to hell or you're not going to be in humor for running. And it's really to not throw everything away on that one bad day and kind of say, ah, fuck it. I'll start again next month, next year, next whatever. Yeah. And. I was the same. So you say, for example, I was getting married in 2015, a month before the wedding. Oh, Jesus, better start hydrating myself and get my skin in order for next month. And I drink two liters of water every day for a week. And then I'd look in the mirror at the end of the week and go, I look absolutely no different. And I'd forget about that new habit that I had tried to take up. And then when I was in chemo or about to start, they bring you into this room and it's literally, they sit you down for an hour and a half. They take you through all the side effects. They basically give you a book leaving. And at the end of it, you're just, all your positivity is gone about chemotherapy because you're like, Jesus Christ. They told me that I was prescribed 22 weeks of chemo 
don't be surprised that could turn into 30. And I said, why? And they said, but you'll come in on a Monday to get your chemo and your bloods won't have bounced back from the week before. So we'll send you home to rest for an extra week and you won't get your chemo that week. And I, in my head, I was like, there's absolutely no way I'm letting that happen to me. So I really, that was the day that I changed my diet, that I was eating kale, spinach for breakfast, spinach again for lunch, big hearty meal in the evening, chicken, fish, carbs, two liters of water a day. And every week I'd go in to get my bloods done and they go, Georgie, your bloods are amazing. My bloods never dipped for the 22 weeks. And that was the first time in my life. And as I said at the start of the podcast that I'm quite an analytics person. That's why I sat under a TV with the analytics of the website. And so when I was going in every Monday and seeing that my bloods weren't dipping, uh, it was the first time in my life that I actually saw the proof that what you put into your body matters and it and the healthy food does pay off. So that was a great bit of proof for me. And that's what kept me going with those healthy habits. And I suppose that's why I continued them, because the proof was there. And I think that's, again, like you're fortunate and unfortunate. Obviously, I'm not saying God isn't it great. You got cancer all the same, Georgie. That's worked out great for you. But most of us don't get that instant proof that what we're doing is working. So this is one of the the real uh difficulties with any healthy habit you want to lose weight so you eat the salads for a week and then you look in the mirror or you get on the scales and you're half a pound lighter or whatever else and you're looking to lose a stone or whatever it is Mm -hmm. and it's to try and get into your head that you know what you're doing today you'll reap the rewards of ages down the line and it might be it doesn't have to be ages but like that you have to keep going there's a tipping point where you start to notice it. Like in weight loss, for example, For again, I'm doing a podcast interviewing you and I'm talking an awful lot about myself, which I'm sure I'll get in the comments section, whatever. Um, like when I started running, okay, my body is in a jock. It's not designed for running. I have bad knees, bad ankles, bad shin splints, bad back, the whole lot, but I wanted to run. But what the physio, a friend of mine is a physio, said, look, the, the load that you put through your joints is directly proportionate to your weight. So for every extra pound you are, that's, I don't know, three pounds of force or something that you're putting on. So I had to lose a ton of weight. Mm. I lost three stone uh, and I've now stopped running and I have put back on three stones. What happens is you don't really notice it. And then one day someone says to you, God, you look very skinny. And you realize that you have or that you've changed, but like you can't see it day to day or even sometimes week to week. It's just, there's a moment in time where you go, or these jeans don't fit anymore, or, or I look ridiculous, or whatever it is. And I, I don't really know what the solution or how you, like in your corporate talks, how do you encourage people to keep going when they aren't seeing those immediate results? Yeah, and the, it's the Im- immediate results. And it, and it always comes back to healthy habits with me. Like that's the solution for me is healthy habits. And it's funny because when I look, I find it really hard to look at photos of myself before cancer because I don't recognize that person anymore. And that's why my podcast is called The Good Glow, because people, when I started to get better, people were like, Jesus, you're glowing. You look great. And that meant so much to me because it meant I was healthy, I was alive. But all of the good food, all of the healthy habits 
we're starting to, now I didn't take up any of those healthy habits to look better physically but that was one of the side effects and that was one of the payoffs so I felt better 100% better on the inside I feel better than I ever have in my life but actually it started to pay off in, in how I look on the outside which is was never my intention and I think when you do something for a long period of time drink your two liters of water but give yourself six months doing it before you're expecting to see an improvement in your skin or with your five to seven portions of fruit and veg a day maybe your skin is going to get worse before it gets better but it's just don't give up because you have we all have the power to change and the power to transform our lives and and the power and the choice to start again and I think it comes back to what are you waiting for and that's what's in the back of my head all the time is do it now because we never know what's around the corner and my intention with people when they say like how can I change or how can I keep it up it's you owe it to yourself you want to you don't want to be like me and have cancer when you're 32 and you can't go on to have another baby you've got one child and where's the sibling and all of that stuff you don't need to get to that point and and that's just my message is to try to encourage people just to mind themselves sorry that's a bit waffly no, that I mean, like that makes perfect sense. I suppose I I'll be the 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 voice of Joe Public because I get all that. I I agree with you a hundred percent, and I I don't want to uh, have to wait for cancer either. But like, I still know there's a jar of biscuits downstairs that I have my eye on, and that I feel like I'm going to go down and horse a few in a few minutes when I get off the 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 call. What when I when this works for me? is when I break things down into tiny pieces that I think I can't get this wrong. And I'm wondering, did you do that with cancer, with the therapy, this kind of, did it help you be more present and one day at a time, one week at a time, one whatever, which is, again, you didn't, you didn't know the science of it. You weren't trying to do these habits, but again, that's how they work. Yeah. And I think it, for me, it was about balance. So I knew that the type of person I am, I like to have a good time. I like to have a glass of red wine. I love a steak on a Saturday. So for me, looking at my life after cancer, I couldn't give all that up. That's who I am in many ways. And I didn't want to become this like super clean Gwyneth Paltrow type person who is so different to the person I was. It's all about balance. And like I do eat biscuits and I do have the odd splurge now and again, but I absolutely enjoy every second of that. And I used to say to my counselor, I'm embarrassed to eat a pizza or a pasta in case people are judging me. She's eat the pasta chew every bit of it enjoy every second of it and the actual guilt about eating something is doing you more damage than actually eating it so I knew that I could never be this new and improved perfect person like I'm new and improved but I'm not perfect so it is about balance because I think if you take on extreme habits or try to like I'm going to get up at 6 a.m and meditate before my kids wake up no that's not maybe it will work for some people but for the majority of us we're wrecked we're trying to juggle it all that's just not obtainable for me so I think balance is really important not to give yourself a hard time 
enjoy yourself like life is for living too but you want to be around for a long time so it's about balance and I think if I'm getting a pizza or something I'm like you know what I had seven portions of fruit and veg every day this week the pizza isn't going to kill me so I think it's to take it easy on yourself as well I'm just, it's something's just after occurring to me just while we were talking and while you were saying that it hadn't occurred to me before, which is the social pressure of doing it all. Um, and that's actually something that we talked about at the very start. That's part of potentially, I'm not saying it caused you to get cancer or anything of the sort, that lifestyle of trying to do it all, it, that can actually happen on the other side, on the healthy side, like you say, you Google healthy habits, you don't get a healthy habit, you get a list of 10 or 15. And then you feel the pressure to get up at five and do the meditation and go for the run and do the thing and do the thing. So it it, it can work against you as well that people can say, I am now going to be healthy. And that means no junk food, no this, all the exercise, all the things. And if you try and do it all at once, there's no way you're going to succeed I, I well I don't think there is anyway exactly and then how do you feel at the end of that you feel like a big loser because you weren't able to do it and that's why I didn't take on any crazy diets or anything like that because I knew I wanted to change for the rest of my life so me giving up red wine giving up this uh, meat giving up all the fun things was never going to be I could never do that forever I knew that and I think I'm reading this book called how to live well it's a brilliant book and it speaks about if you have enough of the good stuff in your reserves in your body they'll fight off the cancer cells they'll do their job they'll keep you healthy and when you have some junk food they have the all the good stuff that you've been doing to fall back on. So I think it's about understanding that and to give yourself like obtainable goals. We've talked a lot about habits in the kind of physical sense, the, the food you put in your body, the, the running you do, the whatever else. We've talked a little less about the, the mental habits or the psychological habits. We have a bit in terms of being kind to yourself and compassion and those kind of things. Are, are you consciously or unconsciously are you doing any more of the the kind of mental things that are typically thought to be good habits like uh, journaling or uh, gratitude practice or in America in particular they would call them affirmations in the morning mindfulness meditation is it is have you adopted any of those you also mentioned forest bathing or something which we need to talk about a bit more about what the hell that is yeah so there's many things that I do so I'm not the person that's meditating for 40 minutes a day never have been never will be and I've accepted that I'm just not that type of person did this great podcast with Dermot Whelan he's a meditation teacher and he showed me how to meditate in 16 seconds which is just about enough for me and I felt different after that 16 second meditation so I was really grateful that I can do a little bit of a meditation and just because I'm not doing the 30, 40 minutes doesn't mean that I've failed at it. So I think it's picking out little things that can work for you. Gratitude is a huge part of my life. And again, that came very natural to me having survived cancer. But I used to make an effort to practice gratitude. But now 
I do it without even thinking about it. So I could be just walking down the road and I'll just stop for a minute. (laughs) You're going to laugh at me, but feel a tree or a a leaf. (laughs) You're right. I'm laughing with you, not at you, just to be clear, but I am laughing. Yeah. (laughs) I'll just stop and I'll just look at leaves. (laughs) No, no, but you know what? Like, it's it is so interesting and I, I don't think people will get this until they do it I was driving out of our estate where we've lived for eight years about a year ago so at that time seven years and I said to my wife Orla and it, it, like and it's such a stupid thing to say I was like has that tree always been there this is a fucking massive 200 or 300 year old tree which has obviously always been there I never even saw it. Um, Like when you stop and look or look for it, what's there is quite surprising. Absolutely. And that's a little form of gratitude that you probably did without realizing that you saw the tree and you're like, whoa, what an amazing tree. I live on the same road as this tree. Like how lucky am I? They're the sort of thoughts that I have now every single day. Like I made this risotto a couple of Sundays ago and everyone, my little baby and Jamie was eating the risotto and I was smiling and Jamie's like, what are you smiling at? And I was like, I'm just so happy that I just spent half an hour making this. It's really nice. And now we're all eating it. And he would like looked at me as if I'd lost my mind. But it's just the little things like that make me so happy that I never, ever would have thought about before or given myself the time to think about before. Do you you think that there's part of our mentality our Irish mentality is militates against this a little bit. And I'll, I'll give you a very specific example. Um, I was listening to your podcast with your friend, uh, Audrey. Mm-hmm. And at the very start of the podcast, you're being very sincere and honest and genuine about your friendship and how much she means to you and how grateful you are to have her in your life. And instantly, as an Irish person, I was like, it felt a little bit uncomfortable for me because I'm not used to people being that open and honest and appreciative uh, about each other in public. And I was like, that's really interesting to me that people being loving and open and honest in that way causes this reaction or feels un- what it was it felt unnatural to me yeah. to my shame like I was like god I wish I was more like that but that I even noticed I thought that's interesting and I just wonder with gratitude I've always f- felt sometimes these things feel a bit what I would call a bit American <laughs> a bit like I'm so grateful and thank you for this and you're like all right fucking settle down there will you do you know what I mean yeah. um do you think are we as a nation just a little slow to do some of these things, which ultimately, as we now know, are are good for us. I think, yeah, it's like, you know who you can do it with and maybe who would run for the hills, that sort of way. And I think 
I'm really lucky that Audrey has been through some stuff in her life too, in terms of going to LA and hitting rock bottom and then building her business. And she lives a life full of gratitude too. And then if I say, for example, I interview someone like Amanda Byram and she's, you are a fantastic, amazing female. And even that would make, she says that when she looks in the mirror. I'd be like, oh God, I don't think I'd do that. So I do think they're we're evolving at different stages or discovering things about gratitude in the world. But I think we're all open to it, which I love. I think there's a, the conversation is getting wider and the people that maybe I would have not had those conversations with before and now I am. But I think because I put myself out there and laid it all out on the table. People feel like they can open up to me and tell me things. And that's helped. And can I ask then, uh, this is a very practical question. Was there a point? So I had a a recent conversation where uh, I was talking about needing to be successful at something before people bought into it. Let's say you're on a health journey have people got more and more invested the further along you're that you, you've I don't know how quite how to ex- explain this other than let, let's say it's not you let's say it's someone whose journey is a weight loss journey mm. uh, or they're, they've created some new diet plan or whatever what I'm thinking is how much weight do you have to lose or how you see these transformation before and after it people are in a corporate sense in a kind of how to make a real world difference sense. It's actually, it's quite hard to impress people. Oh, I, I've stopped eating a bar of chocolate. Eh, I've become vegan. I've lost seven stone. Well done. Is there, were people like that with you or was your situation different because of your story and because it was cancer? It's funny because when I got better, loads of people started to unfollow me. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. So I think I had... I don't know, say 27,000 followers when I was sick. And then I got better and I just started to go back to work and things, I just became a normal person again. I started to see that people were unfollowing me and I got this message and I've been really lucky that I don't get any trolls or anything like that. Like people don't troll the girl that had cancer. But I did get this message from this lady who... I'd become a Fitbit ambassador, which was such a huge thing for me to have gone from someone who didn't exercise to this amazing brand like Fitbit wanting me to be their ambassador because I do the park runs. Like I thought that was amazing. I was really proud of myself. So I was on like talking about something and this girl sent me a message and she's, you've changed. I could relate to you so much better when you were sick. And first of all, I'll never forget getting that message because I was like, does this person like want me to be sick? (laughs) Like, surely this person should be happy for me that I get to get my life back and get this amazing job and have this podcast. But I suppose when people start following your journeys, Terry McAvoy said this this on my podcast, and I need to go back and listen because I've been thinking about it a lot recently. And she says, be wary of people who only clap when you're down. And I've been so lucky to have gone on and created my podcast since my diagnosis. And I have this amazing community of positive women. The Good Glow community is amazing. But that always sticks with me. 
that be careful of people who are only there for you when you're in the wig and the chips are down and who aren't that happy when you're back and healthy and living your best life again. Yeah, I mean, that is fascinating to me. But in in the weirdest of ways, I can relate to it. I'll tell you why. One of my worst, and I don't know whether it's a habit or it's a character trait or I I, I don't know what it is. Uh, It's something I'm not proud of. It's something I try very hard to avoid and to change. I am a very jealous person. I look at other, particularly other people's success and my guttural, it's in me, came from somewhere when I was young. I don't know what it is to think, I could do that or I could be as successful as that or I'm as good as that. And there's just this weird bit of me that it's not that I'm unhappy for them or I don't want them to be successful, but it makes me feel bad about myself Mm -hmm. that they've got the success and I don't. Does that make any sense to you? Absolutely. And I think that is such a brave thing to admit because I think there's a little bit of that in us all. That's just probably part of being a human. And I have this quote that I live by, which is happiness creates success. And I'm doing this course through Yale called the science of well-being. And it's really helpful in understanding that stuff doesn't make you happy. And there's all of this scientific research behind it. You would probably love this course. I'll get the notes off you. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's about what we think will make us happy actually doesn't and okay so for example Suzanne Jackson right who we both worked with who was gas crack in the office I love the fact that she's never changed but off she went to be a millionaire and I think some of us well I definitely was like why couldn't that have been me And we're so lucky that Suzanne is kept in touch. She didn't forget about us. We look at her life now and we would presume it's perfect. We presume Suzanne Jackson has a perfect life. Pippa O'Connor has a perfect life. All of these people have perfect lives, but actually they don't. And they come on and Suzanne has been really open to say, I've made it, but that doesn't mean that I'm just happy out in my mansion. And I think we need people like that to be honest and say things like that so that we're not getting wrapped up in the things that we think might make us happy. I think we all need to be open and honest about actually, in fact, what makes us happy is our family and our kids. And I think we learned that through COVID. We learned about all the things that we can live without, the trips to Dundrum, to Zara, the stuff. And what it comes down to is your health, your family, your relationships, they're the important things in life. Is it in that order? And I ask because it is for me. So like I have a list of four priorities and it's um, health, family, friends and legacy. Those are my four things in those order. And they're in that order for me because without your health, you've got nothing. So that's why I put health above mm-hmm. everything else. If it's gone, everything else folds with it do you have them in any particular order I think family for me like someone asked me well like what defines you on a podcast and I was like oh my god what a question that is totally putting me on the spot (laughs) my answer was my love for my family and their love for me that's for me 
I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for them. I wouldn't be healthy today if it wasn't for them because everyone in my family's life stopped. My mom, everyone just dropped everything to be there for me and get me through the chemo and keep me well and keep me positive. And I believe that I, everything I've built since then has been down to them. So for me, it's family, it's health. Yeah, it, it, I would definitely, I think, put family number one for me. It's interesting. I like. I, I find myself. What's one of the things that's interesting is in all the chats I've had with people. So I've talked to Keith Barry and Fergus Connolly and a couple of other people, and I say interesting the whole time, uh, which is probably a bad habit I need to get out of. But it is all of this is really interesting, and I really do hope that people listening can take something from it and not, as you say wait for the earthquake or wait for whatever it is but also learn everything like you said a couple of things that just go to show how in one way simple it is and in another way how complicated it is so family comes first and and love your family and all that kind of stuff but also it's okay to go for a run and let Jamie bath Pia again we put such pressure on ourselves to be perfect including and in particular to be the perfect parent like I said, and I didn't mean it in the literal sense, but like my five-year-old yesterday, I said to my wife, I said, I'm going to fucking kill him. And, and like, it's a, before you have kids, uh, no one tells you how, um, sorry, your parents tell you, but you don't believe them, how bloody hard it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, like to be kind to yourself and say, I lost the head. You, I think I thought before I had children, I would never be one of those parents who would get get crossed, like not wooden spoon or hit them cross, but just go even raise my voice slightly, not shouting, but just getting angry at them. And I totally am that person. I, I couldn't believe it. But I don't know if there is any parents that aren't unless they're stoned the whole time. I think that's the only way you could not get cross at your children. Yeah, I think at the moment we're all spending so much time together and we're like digging deep to just stay positive and put our best foot forward and like I've felt uh, even though I'm on the phone to my mom my friends I'm at home with the most loving family Jamie and Pia like I'm still lonely like I feel lonely in this world at the moment and that's been very truthful I had a little cry on Sunday because it was my godchild's birthday and I couldn't be there and they're the things that make me happy and I think, yeah, like you said, like skipping bath time and and doing something for yourself, especially in these times, like they're the things that we have to do for ourselves because you're losing the rag with the kids. It's because you're you need to go off and fill up your tank a little bit, I think. Yeah. The last thing, Georgie, I might just ask about it's not I don't know if you could call it a habit. But it's something that I have been very conscious of recently. And it's something I heard for years and years, but I never really paid too much attention to it. It's about surrounding yourself with the right kind of people and letting go of toxic friendships or relationships or anything like that. And only surrounding yourself with, you know, people who the phrase I use now is lift you up. Mm -hmm. So I want to spend my time with people who lift me up and who I lift up. And anyone that doesn't take that box, I think I don't really need you anymore. I'm I'm past that. I won't say, did you do a purge of friends um, when you had this transformation? But it, it, 
when you're trying to please everyone, we all know that we have friends that aren't particularly good for us. They're still friends. They're still nice people. They all of that good stuff. But I, I personally have just reached a point where I'm like, what? There's only X number of hours in the day. I'm not seeing enough of the people that make me feel good about myself. And so I'm just going to have to pare things back a bit and focus on what's good for me and what's good for them. Yeah. And I think because I got sick when I was 32, a lot of my our people in our age group haven't had a friend that had cancer before. So many of them didn't know what to do. And many people would say, I better leave her and let her deal with this. But it's the calls, the texts, the dinners on the front step. They mean more than you'll ever know. And Claire Zolan, a mutual friend of ours, knocked on my door one day. I hadn't seen her in three years. Like ballsy thing to do when someone's in chemo. But it was amazing. And I'll never forget that day. And I think, yeah, I try my best not to judge people who maybe just freaked out and didn't know what to do around that time. I I, I don't dwell on it. And um, there's definitely people that I'm not as close to. There's more people that I'm actually closer to than before, if that makes sense. Just because of the time thing, you've time to think about what really matters and time to put into the more important things, I think. But do you know what I also think? Here's some of my great thoughts, Georgie, that you didn't ask for. Um, <laughs> I think some of this stuff makes you appreciate people that you didn't, I suppose you didn't really appreciate before, or you didn't realize that they were the kind, your kind of person or the kind of person that lifted you up or whatever it is that you, when you start to look a bit deeper than, uh, is this someone I can have crack with, or can I go out drinking with? And who is this person really? What are their values? What do they believe in? Those are questions we didn't ask in our twenties. What's your purpose or what's your mission? What's your goals? You didn't care. Either you were good crack or you weren't. That was really the sole basis for friendship in many ways, or it was for me anyway. Whereas now there's a deeper kind of, this person is on a similar journey to me or has a, a similar vision for the world or for their legacy or for the, it's the potential for a far deeper connection exists when you're thinking about things in these kind of ways. And maybe that's just age or becoming a parent or having cancer or whatever it is. But I do feel myself that I'm just by my nature far less shallow and so far more interested in people in a, in a deeper way. It's such a good point. And there's so many people that stood up for me when I got sick. And I was like, whoa, I didn't really pay any attention to these people before I got sick. And look at them now being here for me every single day. And it's not that I wasn't paying attention in a mean way, but I was probably very wrapped up in myself. And maybe they'd, they've been through something. And I wasn't there for them because I think when people have been through something like they get it. And so say, for example, now that I've lived through such a horrible experience with cancer, I feel like I'd know what to do if someone got diagnosed with cancer and I'd know how to communicate and I'd know what to do. So there's lots of people that haven't been through something and don't know what to do. But yeah, my point is that there's so many people now that I value so much more than I ever did and that's why there is getting diagnosed with cancer isn't all that bad it teaches you so much about the world I said that actually Ray Darcy was interviewing me one day and I said it's it's weird to say but it's one of the best things that ever happened to me and he did a double take and he said what what do you mean 
I said, it's given me so much perspective as a young person. I could have been living my life till I was 60 and not realized any of these things or not valued my life as I should have. And I do now. And although it's been hard and I had to hit rock bottom to build my life back up, I've rebuilt it the way I I enjoy it and I love every day. And I always say that Mondays aren't so bad when you've been through cancer and to wake up every day and just to be grateful to be alive has been one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given in my life. And thank you for all of that, Georgia. What I'm going to take from this is that almost you can live through people by proxy or the kind of... I, I don't want, and I, I that nobody wants to get cancer, to get this wake up call or to ha- have any illness or anything before them, but maybe to listen to you and realize that, well, you don't have to get it to get the gratitude or to be grateful or to start. What are you waiting for? Like that sentence is probably going to be the thing I take away from that, this whole conversation the most when I'm, because I want to start yeah. <laughs> eating healthy or I want to start some of the next habits. And if I can just, if all I ask myself is, what are you waiting for? It's going to give me a kick in the arse every time to go, nothing. But now is good, as I believe once radio station that we never, uh, I certainly never worked for. They never took me, George. <laughs> Uh, used to say and listen Georgie I really appreciate your time it's been a really interesting chat and and, and in truth probably it's certainly a deeper and probably also a longer conversation that we've ever had in all the years that we've known each other and I'm really glad that we had it I know me too and I was just going to say with this podcast like you're going to trigger aha moments for people and that is such a gift to give to the world and like you said if each person that listens to this picks up one thing from the podcast, then your job is done and you've done something good. I think it's such a good idea for a podcast and I wish you all the success with it. And I can't wait to listen to your other guests. I did say during the podcast that that was definitely the longest uh, and most uh, meaningful and deep conversation I've ever had with Georgie. Um, It's not actually my favourite. My favourite was the time she told me about um, when her mum killed her goldfish, but I couldn't find that audio. So instead, here's uh, a retro old school clip. I think this was 2012 of Georgie laughing at me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, If you did, as I say, please consider subscribing. Next week, uh, I'm going to be talking to um, behavioural economist Pete Lunn about um, the habits of uh, the coronavirus pandemic and lockdown. So uh, tune in for that uh, on Thursday of next week. Georgie, laugh at me. The 22-year-old tees off alongside former world number ones Lee Westwood and Luke Donald. For what it's worth, I actually don't know what the joke is myself. Donald says the pressure is on board. <laughs> Lionel Messi has become the first player to score five goals in a Champions League game. Barcelona. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. We're laughing at my dancing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. Oh, Seth it's Fabregas. just in her head. Yeah, it's this just, you know, when that happens in school and all. Here spins five word weather, bright but chilly five degrees. This is the home of the hottest concert tickets in Dublin, the only station giving you. <laughs> oh, the chance to see the wanted at their sold out gig on Friday and a chance to meet the guys. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going. I'll see you later, okay? My dancing is awesome. I shuffled. That's Obviously all that not happened. right. Obviously not. <laughs>